Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Thank you, Brandon. Great job. Hey, North Bible. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Adam Knight. And for one more day, I get to introduce myself as the pastor of students and young adults here. Oh, man. Uh, So this is our family's last Sunday here at North, and um, tough tough Sunday, very emotional, but uh, we're we're grateful. Um, This this week on Friday, we'll be packing up and heading to Ohio. So uh, I don't know if you guys remember, but back in January, we kind of stood on this stage and shared that this transition was coming and that God was calling us uh, into a new season of ministry for me, um, pursuing education for healthcare chaplaincy. So that's on the horizon. Um, and I, I just remember talking with Jay back in January, and he kind of asked if I'd be willing to speak on this last Sunday. And, you know, my parting words, last, last thoughts, and wisdom and encouragement that I get to share with you guys. And I'm like, well, what, what in the world can I say that's wisdom, right? <laughs> um, it's kind of like, a lot of pressure. Not that Jay put pressure on me, but I put the pressure on myself. What am I going to say? I've got to knock this one out of the park. This is going to be their last impression of me. You know, I really care about my uh, reputation, so it's like, you know, this has to be per- this has to be the best message since like the Sermon on the Mount. You know, so we'll see how that goes. But anyways, um, actually, this morning I want to share with you guys. I think that pressure was building and building and building and kind of. That was pride kind of taking over where it was like, okay, nobody is actually coming to North Bible Church to see, to like worship Adam Knight, right? We're all here to worship Jesus. And I love this song that we just sang, yet not I, but through Christ in me. That's kind of, um, that song helped me kind of get that perspective, even just this morning as I prepared to come up on the stage and share God's word. I'm not doing this for my own glory. I'm doing it uh, for, for Christ's glory and his alone. So uh, would you pray with me as we open up uh, God's word together this morning? Heavenly Father, uh, we are so grateful to be here. We're grateful for, uh, for our friends, our family members who are part of this church community. And um, God, for the next few minutes, I pray that you are magnified in this place, that your Holy Spirit comes and and moves and challenges us and um, draws us closer to you. God, we want you to be magnified in our lives and through our lives as well. And so we give you this time this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. So what wisdom can I share with North Bible? That was kind of the question all week. And, you know, the first thing that came to me as I was thinking is, uh, number one, if you have a Theodore Roosevelt shirt, you should always wear it when given the opportunity. Number one, write that down. You got that? Uh, If you can't see, if you can't uh, tell, I'm wearing a shirt. This was given to me this week in our community group, and uh, it's got Theodore Roosevelt, my favorite president. He's riding various animals like a bald eagle, a moose, a bear, and an ostrich, shirtless. I don't know why he's shirtless on the ostrich, but I love it. He is an outdoorsman, uh, great, uh, great guy. So, number one, if you can wear a Theodore Roosevelt shirt, that's a must. All right. 
Uh, number two, I don't know if this will pass or not, but search committee, like the next person that takes my job, has to like Theodore Roosevelt. Let's just put that in the requirements. I don't know if I get to say that or not, but hey, worth a shot. I don't think that's actual, you know, encouragement and wisdom that Jay was asking me to share with you guys. So we are going to open up uh, God's Word together. And we're going to be talking about resurrection and redemption this morning. Last week, Easter weekend, was so awesome being together. Good Friday and uh, Easter Sunday. And so I wanted to kind of camp out there a little bit longer, not just like turn the page, Easter's over. Let's talk about something else. No, we should be talking about Easter and Jesus' resurrection like all the time. So we're going to be talking about Jesus' resurrection. I'm going to look at one particular character, uh, person, disciple, uh, in the resurrection narrative. And I would love to do like a deep dive on this person, you know, tell all about his history, um, his impact, his legacy, but we don't have time for that this morning, so we're going to look at four snapshots in the life of the Apostle Peter, four snapshots that all center around uh, the resurrection. And we're going to be looking primarily in the Gospel of John and the Gospel of Mark uh, this morning, so you can either follow along, write down your notes, or follow up on the screen. I like those two. They have different, you know, insights to this passage, to this, uh, to these snapshots, and so I'll I'll dive in a little bit more uh, as we get going. But why Peter? Why are we going to dive into Peter and talk about uh, some snapshots from his life? For me, Peter is someone who's relatable. Uh, obviously, as a disciple in the Bible, you see a lot of stories that involve Peter. Um, you see some really high highs. You see some really low lows with Peter. And I don't know if it's just me, maybe not, but I really um, connect with people who fail out loud, when they struggle out loud. I think it's like I can trust them because I know that I can relate to them a little bit. I struggle with connecting with people who, who are perfect, and I don't know what their flaws or failures are. But Peter has many flaws and failures, and so this morning we're going to uh, focus on the gospel accounts that talk about uh, Peter. We're going to start in John chapter 13. You can go ahead and turn there. A little bit of background the book of John is 21 chapters long, and basically from chapter 12 through the end, that's from uh, Holy Week, the Passion Week when Jesus came in on the triumphal entry, all the way through the end of Jesus' life, and then a little bit in chapter 21 about after the resurrection. So there's a lot of stuff that's kind of packed into these, uh, these 10 chapters that all center around that one week. Um, John chapter 13 begins what is known as the upper room discourse where Jesus is up with his disciples and they do the, the Last Supper. Jesus has a lot more to say, especially in John that's recorded than in other Gospels. And you think about the disciples who have been following Jesus for three years up to this point. That he had three years of public ministry and this was the last week of his life. Um, and it's interesting to kind of see you would think that their discipleship or their apprenticeship, you know, they, they would have all the answers and everything figured out, but they still are confused a little bit. So John chapter 13, verses 36 through 38, the first snapshot that we're going to look at is when Jesus predicts Peter's denial. And this is what the Bible says. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. 
Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And so Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples, instruct his disciples on what's about to happen, how he's about to lay down his life, how he has to suffer at the hands of men and die. And the disciples are still really confused. Peter's, you know, the spokesperson for the disciples. He's like, where are you going, Jesus? I want to come too. I want to be with you. And Jesus is like, that can't happen right now, Peter. And all of Peter's bluster and Peter's, you know, pride kind of kicks in. And he makes big promises. He, he talks a big game. And in Mark's account, Mark chapter 14, verses 29 through 31, there's a little bit of a different, um, some more details that are included here. And one of the reasons is that Mark got a lot of his gospel account that was filtered through the perspective of Peter. So there's a lot of more personal details about Peter in the Mark account that aren't found in other Gospels. And that's why I love kind of getting that insight here. Mark 14, 29 through 31, Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not, Peter says. Those disciples don't love you as much as I do, Jesus. They're going to let you down. I'm going to come through no matter what happens. And Jesus is like, no, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Verse 31, but he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And that just shows me the remarkable patience and love that Jesus has for his disciples with Peter and even with you and with me. That's one of the things that encourages me about Peter's life, that Jesus could look at him knowing that he's going to deny him, be, you know, betray him, disown him, in his moment of great need, and yet he still has this plan for Peter's life. That Peter is so confused and Peter doesn't know what's going to happen. He makes these big promises that he won't follow through on. And Peter, Jesus can still see Peter in that weakness, but he also sees Peter in his love and in his devotion. And if Jesus can do that for Peter, I, I hope and pray that he can do that for me. Jesus doesn't just focus on who we are at any given moment, but he focuses on who we are to become. The plans that he has for us that don't involve our mistakes or our failures, but we can move past that in forgiveness and mercy into our purpose in Christ. And so our identity in Christ isn't just wrapped up in that one failing, that one mistake, that one sin that you keep going back to and you're ashamed of. You're like, man, Jesus must be tired of me by now. And that's not the, the case. Our identity in Christ is filtered through what Jesus did for us in his death and resurrection. This is what William Barclay says. It is the greatness of Jesus that he sees the heroic even in the coward. He sees in us not only what we are, but also what he can make us. Jesus has the love to see what we can be and the power to make us attain to it. So we know that Peter will ultimately one day lay down his life for the Lord, but not without 
uh, a great moment of failure and falling away and faltering where he denies Christ. He holds on to his own life selfishly just as Jesus predicts here in this passage. So let's move on uh, to our second snapshot. Jesus predicted it. Here's where it takes place. We're going to be in John chapter 18, Peter's denials of Christ. Jesus made that prediction while they were in the upper room, and then after that, they went outside to the garden to pray. Uh, Judas and the, the guards came to arrest Jesus, and he's put on trial. He's taken to the home of the high priest, put on trial before the Sanhedrin, and that's where we pick up our second snapshot here. John 18, starting in verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. So there's the first denial right there. We'll see the progression over this passage. How it starts out with like this innocent question where almost this servant's expectation is that Peter answers no. Like you can't possibly be here if you're a follower of Jesus. Like what? That doesn't make any sense to her. She expects him to say no, and he, he kind of goes along with that. He, go, he takes the easy way out. He says, no, no, I'm not one of Jesus' disciples. I'm not sure if he even, even was processing the conversation that he had with Jesus just a few hours earlier in the upper room. Maybe it was the furthest thing from his mind. But then John actually turns his attention back to Jesus. You were talking about out in the courtyard with Peter. We go inside the high priest's house, and you kind of see that, that Jesus is put on trial, essentially for being a false prophet. And the ironic part is, the very same moment, just a few steps outside, his prophecies are coming true when it, when it comes to Peter. Verse 25 John picks back up and says, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. So the first question it's asked in suspicion by one person. The second time, more and more people join in. You're not one of Jesus' disciples, are you? Peter keeps saying, no, I'm not. And then the third question moves to this place of like reasonable, you know, confirmation, reasonable, um, you know, certainty that Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. They're like, my relative Malchus was in the garden when Jesus was arrested, and I saw you try and stab him in the face. And, you know, Malchus ducks out of the way, loses an ear. That's when Jesus says, no more of this, picks up Malchus's ear and heals him on the spot. I think that's where Peter was like, 
I think the other disciples are abandoning Jesus right now. He's being arrested. Why isn't anyone defending Jesus? And what he does in his own, like, humanness is actually getting in the way of the purpose of God. So the person's like, I saw you. Like, that's, that's not an easy face to forget when you see, like, an almost murder. And so Peter's kind of backed into a corner now, you know, busted, you saw me, but he emphatically denies it. In fact, Mark's gospel, again, remember Mark has a little bit uh, more insight from Peter himself. Mark 14, 71, 72 says, But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. I do not know. I do not even know this man. And you just compare that to a couple chapters earlier in Mark where Jesus is having this conversation with the disciples and Peter and says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. How do you go from looking at Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior, and then a couple chapters later, I do not even know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. I think that that moment, reality set in for Peter. I let Jesus down. In his moment of great need, just like he said that I would, I disowned him. I denied him three times, just like Jesus said that I would. I let down my Savior. I let down myself. I never anticipated that I would do something like that until the heat of the moment. I thought I would be a better disciple. And he's crushed under that weight of guilt, and he breaks down, and he weeps. And after this display of emotion, Peter disappears from the Gospels until Easter morning. We don't know where Peter went Friday while Jesus was on the cross. We don't know who came and told him that Jesus had finally been put to death. We don't know what he was thinking on Saturday. But the rabbi that he had followed for the past three years, he gave up everything in his life to learn from, to support, had just been publicly executed. And so I want to just stop right here. This is a good place for me to actually share some wisdom, share some encouragement uh, with the church. A warning, if you will, that if something like this can happen to a great apostle, like the leader among the apostles in Peter, that temptation can certainly overtake you and me. That's the temptation to deny Christ. I don't know what that looks like in your life, but we can deny Christ with our words, with our actions. We communicate to other people that I do not know Jesus. And maybe, maybe you're caught in like this awkward spot around non-believers and they don't know that you're a Christian, but you know, you're like, I'm not going to play that card right now. I don't know Jesus. You just kind of fit in. That can be denying Jesus in a way. Maybe you deny Jesus with your prayer life. You know, prayer is this 
form of communication with our Heavenly Father, and, but your prayers have turned stale and monotonous and routine. You repeat the same thing over and over. No one would know that you actually have like a growing relationship with Jesus because you recite the same prayer all the time, going through the motions. Maybe you deny Jesus by disobeying his teachings. I mean, it's pretty clear. The Bible says do not steal and you steal. You do not covet and you covet. You know, you disobey some of the things that God calls us to do and you deny t- uh, Jesus with the way that you live your life. Maybe you look the other way when injustice is happening. It's like this is uncomfortable for me or it doesn't affect me, so I, I'm going to ignore it. Carlos Rodriguez says, when we're not hungry for justice, it's usually because we are too full with privilege. And so we can deny Jesus by not taking care of the needy around us, letting someone else pick up that burden, just like the parable of the Good Samaritan, where you have two religious men walk on the other side of the road to avoid caring for someone who's in great need. Let that be a warning to us. So the good news is, however, that Peter's story doesn't end right here. And for you and for me, when we deny Christ, when we let Jesus down, that doesn't have to be the end of our story either. So Jesus predicted his denial. Snapshot two, it took place. We're going to go now to the empty tomb Easter Sunday, resurrection morning. And let's look at Mark's account in Mark chapter 16 because Mark has uh, some details in here that aren't found in any of the other Gospels. And this is a, the snapshot of Peter's redemption. Verse 1, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. So Jesus died on Friday. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took Jesus' body and placed it in an empty tomb that was close by. They did their best, you know, to prepare and honor the body. But Saturday is Sabbath, so they couldn't do any work. So once Sunday hits, then these women want to go back and honor Jesus by the way that they anoint his body. In verse 2, on very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Yes, many times in Scripture, when an angel appears, people are alarmed. Uh, But the angels always respond in comfort. Verse 6, he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? In verse 7, before I read it, verse 7 contains two of the most redemptive words that I think are in all of Scripture. I'll never forget where I was when I first, you know, fully understood and fully processed some of these details that that are in Mark because sometimes these gospel stories all run together. Yeah, I've read it four times now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But God has something to say even in just two words here. 
I was sitting in chapel in, I think, 2007 at Mount Vernon Nazarene University, and someone preached on this passage, a student chaplain named Alex Connell, and he titled his message, The Gospel of the Second Chance. Verse 7 says, But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. But go tell his disciples and Peter. Those two words of including and singling out Peter are so powerful, so redemptive. Max Lucado reflects on the angel's words. Why did the angel single out Peter here? He says, it's as if all of heaven had watched Peter fall, and it's as if all of heaven wanted to help him back up again. We know the Bible talks about angels celebrating in heaven when uh, a sinner repents of their sins. I think here's an opportunity for a sinner, Peter, a disciple, But yeah, he's still messed up, and here's an opportunity for him to repent of denying Christ. And he says, go find Peter. Jesus isn't done with him yet. He needs to come with the disciples to Galilee. Go tell his disciples and Peter. And again, as Mark's gospel was kind of drawn up under the eye of Peter, under the influence of Peter, I mean, obviously, he's going to include that crucial detail whenever he talks about the resurrection. Why are those words so important? What if the angel only said, go tell the disciples that he is going before you to Galilee? What would be running through Peter's mind? Like, yeah, I'm a disciple, or at least I was a disciple until Jesus was on trial and I disowned him three times, did I get kicked out? Did, did I remove myself from Jesus' you know, discipleship and care? And to take away any doubt, no equivocation, the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter. He's not excluded from the company of disciples. And so the women do that. They flee from the tomb. They're still a little shooken up. And they don't really stop to talk to anyone, you know, on the road. But they're making a beeline to find the disciples to pass along this message. That's where we take up in John chapter 20. Another perspective on the empty tomb. I do like this one. This one brings a little bit of humor into uh, the account. John 20, verses 2 through 4, it says, So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's John, the author of the Gospel of John. He's the disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, right? If you're not first, you're last. And if you get to write a gospel account, you can include any detail that you want. 
about the nickname that Jesus had for you, the disciple who Jesus loved, and, you know, how fast you are in compare, comparison to everyone else. I, I do the same thing. I mean, if I did Great in March Madness, that would be the first thing I would have talked about today, but I didn't. So anyways, let's leave that detail out of it. But last Sunday, as we were getting ready here at church to celebrate Easter Sunday, I came across this image, this painting, and it was just stopped in my tracks. I want to share it with you this morning. This is a painting from 1898 by Eugene, what's his last name? Eugene Bernand, Swiss artist. It's titled, Peter and John Running to the Empty Tomb. And I just look at their, their faces, and I try to process what are they thinking right now? I mean, John, his hands clasped together. Please let this be true. Please let, let the tomb be empty. I've got to see this for myself. His, his face is like full of like, I want to hope and I want to believe, but I need to see this for myself. He's, he's the younger one, of course, on the left that's out into a little lead there. Uh, but Peter, his look of, like, astonishment, like, is this, is this true? If it is true, what does it mean for me? It's a little bit more, like, reserved. Probably, like, I wonder if the angel's still going to be there. I'd love to, like, get more details directly from, uh, from the heavens. The angel called me out specifically. I just love this painting. So much emotion that's just conveyed in that one image. And so they get to the tomb, and the good news is the tomb is empty, but the bad news is Jesus isn't there. They have still yet to see the risen Jesus. So that's why we'll go to our fourth snapshot from John chapter 21 when Jesus encounters Peter, and they have this tender moment of restoration together. John 21, verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So in this passage, Jesus yet again predicts another event in Peter's life. But this time Peter comes through. Peter is faithful to the very end, 
to the point of death, even death on a cross upside down. And John Del Huse says this about this passage, that John, the gospel writer, leaves room for maturation and forgiveness in discipleship. I think that's a good encouragement to us. John leaves room for maturation and forgiveness in discipleship. That's something that uh, I, I hope we can remember because it's frustrating when someone isn't mature in their faith or it's frustrating when someone has done something to hurt you, someone that you love and you're trying to you know, pull along in the faith. But if we know anything about Peter, if we know anything about Jesus, that there is forgiveness and and maturation in the discipleship process. And this passage also kind of shows a little mirror to Peter's denials, where Peter denied Jesus three times, and here Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? Almost to say like one for each denial, you're, you're in the clear now. And I, I hope that, you know, as we reflect on Easter in our own lives, we reflect on our own faith in Jesus, that we don't miss this opportunity where Jesus is inviting us, each one of us, to confess our love for him anew and afresh each day. William Barclay says, Love is the greatest privilege in the world, but love brings the greatest responsibility in the world. So if we love Jesus... It is a privilege, but there's a responsibility involved as well. That's what he says to Peter. If you love me, feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. He's telling, pe- he's telling Peter, you're going to be a shepherd for the flock that, that God is entrusting into Peter's life. And Jesus says to all of his disciples, I, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So that's Peter's charge. You can love Jesus. You can be restored into the ministry. You can be restored into the family of God. But there's still work to do. There's still a responsibility. Here at North Bible Church, we love to say love God, love one another, and love the world. I feel like that's a perfect summary of what Jesus is telling Peter here. And so when Jay was talking to me about this, this message, he put it like this. He said, when you hear reports of North Bible Church down the road after you move to Ohio, whether that's a couple months in the future or a couple years in the future, what do you want to hear about North Bible Church? And in answering that question, that's how I can challenge you and encourage you today. Just a a challenge through encouragement. So the two things that I see in this passage that I want to challenge you and encourage you with this morning, we see it in um, the restoration of Peter, the redemption of Peter after the resurrection. The two things are love and humility. Jesus asked, do you love me? And as a church, you know, obviously individuals, we can answer that. But as a church, we get the opportunity to answer that corporately together with the person sitting in front of us, beside us. 
person who was here in the first service, the person who's still at home, we can all answer together, yes, Jesus, you know that we love you. No matter what it costs, no matter what the frustrations, no matter the sacrifices, that we can be unified on on that together. And I want to continue to hear of this church's faithfulness in carrying out the mission of loving God, loving one another, loving the world, even when it hurts, even when it's not convenient. A second thing is humility. You know, Peter was humiliated in a sense, but the humility to show back up and look Jesus in the eye after he had denied him three times provided just so much redemption. I, I love hearing stories of the way that God changes people's lives. Um, stories of baptisms. We, we did videos in the past like called My Jesus Experiences. Testimonies up here on stage. God continues to work in redemption and restoration, but a lot of times we're too proud to admit our struggles. And so we can rob the church of hearing how God is moving in our lives. So I want to hear more stories of, of humility. We can share stories of healing, of forgiveness, of maturation and discipleship, of perseverance in hard times. I mean, at the end of the day, like, we're all going to stumble and fall. I'm going to fail. You're going to fail. But that's when God can move. In our weakness, he can show his strength. I would love to hear stories about love and humility going forward. I love this church, and uh, it's been a, a privilege to be uh, one of the pastors on staff here. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and um, the way that you love your disciples, the way that you love each one of us. We're trying to follow you as best as we can, but we mess up, we fail, we let you down. But God, you have redemption for us. You have restoration for us. You still have a plan and purpose, God, and you just want us to to grow closer to you, to learn from our mistakes, to lift other people up who are stumbling beside us. God, you call us to renew our confessions of our love for you, and then you give us a mission to feed the sheep, to to serve the people around us, to provide for the needy, to look out for the hurting. So God, help us to respond today in faith, in gratitude, in boldness, because you have loved us so much. We want to share that love with the people around us. We love you, Jesus. Everyone said, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.